So as most of you know, I used to teach sixth grade. And if you didn't know that, I used to teach sixth grade. I was in southwest Kansas. When I got out of the automotive industry and went to college for education, because um, teaching was a, kind of a family profession. My grandmother was a teacher. My parents were teachers. And um, I was like, that's what I'm going to be as a teacher. And then the uh, state started consolidating all the schools. So um, the only place I found a job was in southwest Kansas, and we moved out there. And the district that I taught in was USD 480, southwest Kansas, right on the Oklahoma panhandle. And um, the population was predominantly first and second generation immigrant families. And so I taught sixth grade, and the majority of the kids were across the spectrum of, of ability. I had kids that were pre-primary in reading and kids that were um, college-level reading. It was nearly impossible to teach. And I had parents that demanded success now of their students. I want my kids to be able to succeed right now. And I had kids that wanted to be able to be successful right now. Like, teach me to read, teach me to write, teach me to do these things. I, I need to know. I need to be successful so I can achieve to be an American citizen. I need to get a job. I need to be able to be somebody. Um, if you think about it in, in our context here, it's kind of like our Americanized diet and exercise programs, right? I am going to lose 40 pounds by next Tuesday by the keto diet, and if I don't do it, I'm in trouble. I mean, that's, it's the same kind of mentality that these kids were having. Or, or the gym, you know, if I work out twice, I'm going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s. Um, not Arnold Schwarzenegger now, but in the 80s. I had a motto in my classroom, a poster. It wasn't very beautiful because you've seen my drawing. Um, but I had a poster on my doorway, above my doorway, that my kids would slap on their way out of the classroom. And it said, 1% better. My only expectation in my classroom that I told my kids from day one is, I expected them to be 1% better today than they were yesterday. I said, I expect you to be 1% better today than you were yesterday. That's all I expect. If you can give me 1% better than yesterday, you've met your expectation. Because con consistent improvement, to me, is the most important thing in life. Because for kids to grow and to improve over time, it's not necessarily what, that, that they can do big gains. Big gains are great, but big gains are, are few and far between for most of us. It's the little improvements over time that make the biggest difference. And I told this to my kids, if you can give me 100 days of 1% improvements, you've been 100% better in 100 days. And over the course of the year, that's 365% better than you were a year ago. You see, the problem is, though, is you don't see those results very fast. And we want that instant gratification. We want to see results fast. So let me give you, a, let me give you another illustration um, that I also like to use. I stole from, uh, I think I stole from John Maxwell. Um, but uh, water. I like using the illustration of water and boiling water. Um, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, right? That's common knowledge. One degree difference. You take room temperature water, 65, 70 degrees water, room temperature, and you increase it by one degree at a time. 
from 65 degrees to 211 degrees Fahrenheit. And it looks pretty much the same. It's warm water to hot water. No noticeable difference. Yeah, you might see a little bit of steam, maybe. But no real noticeable difference. But you add one degree of temperature between 211 and 212 degrees, and you go from hot water to boiling water. You see, incremental increases make a big difference, but you don't always see that difference until you hit that critical point in your life. And that's that tipping point, that major point. You see, inconsistency always overshadows. It always overshadows that intense effort. Consistency always overshadows intense effort. Um, Sean Covey says that um, our habits will make us or break us. We become what we, re- we repeatedly do. We become what we repeatedly do. Um, Gretchen Rubin calls habits the invisible architect of daily life. We repeat about 40% of our behavior almost daily. So our habits shape our existence and our future. One of my favorite illustrations of this is this video clip. Go ahead and run that video. Baby steps. What we do consistently outweighs what we do in those big chunks. This series, we're going to focus on these consistent habits, these four spiritual habits of scripture reading, of prayer, of fasting, and of Christian community. And each week, we're going to look at skill building and practical tools that we can use in real life. We're going to build with a goal in mind, because you always have to start with the goal, in my mind. If you don't know where you're going, you don't really have an idea of how you got to get there. Um, Goals are important, but systems are actually more important. Um, because you can have a goal to lose 40 pounds, but if you don't have a system in place, that goal really doesn't matter. And the system is actually more important than the goal. And so we're going we're gonna to look at incremental gains, and we're going to model it after Jesus' life through this series. We're going to look at what Jesus did, and we're going to look at how it can be applied to our lives. And so since this is a teaching series, we're going to start with our objectives. Like I used to have on my classroom wall, I had a list of objectives every day. This is the objectives of what we're going to try to reach. And so today's objectives... I have three objectives. The first is that we're going to talk about how Jesus used the Bible. That's going to frame our conversation. Our second objective is we're going to talk about why reading the Bible is important. And our third objective is I'm going to teach you some steps to make um, Scripture reading a habit. Not just a passing thing, but actually a habit. And here's my personal guarantee. You ready? I don't guarantee a whole lot in life. Um, What's the saying? Death and taxes? April 15th is coming soon, folks. Um, But um, here's my personal guarantee. If you put into practice what I teach today, I guarantee you that your life will be radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can personally attest to what I'm going to teach today. And this is not hypothetical. It's from my life, and it's from the people's lives that are closest to me and testimonies that they have told me and that I've seen lived out in their lives. So our first objective this morning is, how did Jesus use the Bible? So let's dig into that. And we're our, first, our first look, our first thing, how Jesus used the Bible is that he, Jesus used God's word to fight temptation. Jesus used the Bible to fight temptation. Now, 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Hypothetically, raise your hand if you've ever been tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do. Hypothetically. Just called yourself out, Angie. It's okay, nobody saw it but me. And then I called you out so everyone knows. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 4 says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No! I'm sure it wasn't that sarcastic. It was probably, No! The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now we've heard that story many times. We've heard Jesus say this and we've, we've, we've had this vision of Jesus, you know, and the devil in his little cloak and we had the, the cartoon image of like death in his, you know. But Jesus in this story literally leans on the word of God. In times of trouble, in times of hardship, he is leaning on the words of God. Not only is he leaning on it, he quotes scripture. If he quotes scripture, use some logic with me. If he's quoting scripture, that means he's memorized it. Right? If he's able to quote it, he's memorized it. And he's actually memorizing a passage from Deuteronomy. That's the Old Testament. Because that's the Bible Jesus had. The Hebrew Bible was the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. Yes, he will humble you by letting you go hungry and then feed you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, Jesus used the scriptures when he dealt with troubles in his life, when he was tempted to do things he shouldn't do. The second way that Jesus used or a second way that Jesus used the text or the scriptures was that he taught, that Jesus taught using God's word. He didn't make up scriptures as he went. Like we often look at Jesus and say, Jesus is preaching a new gospel, right? We say, what did Jesus say about that? What did Jesus teach about that? But Jesus taught from the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. He taught through the lens of God's word. He taught through the Old Testament. And God's word was the law, the prophets, and our Old Testament. It was the doctrine, the theology. It, was, it pointed to the resurrection of who he was. It pointed to the truth. So like in Luke 24, this is what he said this. And then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and, and be raised from the dead on the third day. You see, Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. That's why he was the Messiah. Without the scriptures, Jesus was just this guy. If he didn't fulfill it, there's not a whole lot there. You see, he didn't say that the, and he didn't say that the, the, his new word, like what he's teaching, superseded the Old Testament. He actually said he accomplished it. 
in, in Matthew 5. He said, don't, be un, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish them and their purpose. See, Jesus quoted the Hebrew Bible, he taught the Hebrew Bible, and he lived out the Hebrew Bible, and he fulfilled the Hebrew Bible, and he expected those who followed him to do the same thing. And that's an important thing to remember. You see, Jesus used the Bible. He didn't rewrite it. So Paul teaches in Timothy about Scripture too. And so we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning to look at Paul's words. And so Paul says, and if you have your Bibles, just a question, how many, how many people brought their Bibles this morning? How my challenge? Okay, we got, well, I got to count. One, two, oh, go ahead. I want to see. I, want, I actually want to count. I'm curious. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. Okay. Got nine. And me. I'll count me. Ten. Yay. Even numbers. Ten. All right. I'll get our account from worship, and then I'll, I'll post it online. Challenge for next week. Bring your Bible. All month, bring your Bible. Whole series. I challenge you to bring your Bible. Everyone should have raised your hand because you probably all have your cell phones, and I bet you got a, a Bible app. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, we find these words. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and, have, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So our second objective is the importance of God's word is the importance of God's word. So we're going to focus on the importance of God's word for a few minutes. So God word, God's word, according to Paul, gives us the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ. According to Paul, Scripture gives us the wisdom to receive salvation. So God's word doesn't save us, right? The Bible, the Bible doesn't save us. This doesn't save us. Jesus was clear in John 5, 39. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scripture only points to me. That's what Jesus says. The scripture points to him. You see, God's word, this, this Bible that we, that we read is more like a mirror. Mirror, as Tarzan would say. Did anybody get that reference? people did the scriptures are more like a mirror held up to show us who we are they reveal our need for salvation Romans 3.23 says for everyone has sinned we all fall short of the glory of God's glorious standard but it doesn't just it doesn't just show us our need for salvation Paul is saying that it also shows us Christ and who Christ is and, and paints a picture of of Christ's offer for our salvation and it paints a picture of our assurance of forgiveness of 
that we can be forgiven. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever the Son, whoever has the Son, has life. That's an assurance of forgiveness. So God's Word is also inspired by God. That's another thing that the Bible is. And, and this, this is a, one of those debated texts that, uh, that um, different translations interpret different ways. So since 10 of you have different Bibles, I'm assuming they're all different translations. So maybe yours sounds something like this. The NIV says, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Kim, King James Version says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The English Standard Version says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The Holman Christian Standard Version says all Scripture is inspired by God. The Living Bible says the whole Bible was given to us by the inspiration of God. But the point and the purpose remains the same. The Scripture was breathed to us by God that men or humankind wrote down and authored what God had inspired. You see, the same, and the thing is for us today and how we interpret that is the same Holy Spirit that's with the authors who wrote it are with us who read it today. See, the Holy Spirit was with the authors. The Holy Spirit is with us, the readers. Jesus prays to God in John 17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. You see, the hope is that that Holy Spirit would envelop in us the truth. See, there's two things about Scripture and interpretation and divine revelation that we have to understand. These two words are revelation and inspiration. See, divine revelation is God telling humankind something. Like, we get a revelation, God tells us something. And then inspiration is us writing it down and us communicating it. And see, and there's a problem in that, though, right? Us logical-minded and skeptical people. We can receive a revelation... And our inspiration can be flawed. Right? We can get a divine revelation and not write it down correctly. And so there's always a challenge of interpreting the inspiration. But what we have is the truth that the Holy Spirit inspires through it all. Because the same Holy Spirit that was with the authors is with the readers. Next, God's word is useful in teaching us what is true and makes us realize what is wrong in our life. So four things that God's word teaches us is what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. I'm going to say that again because that was quick. Nobody laughed. It's okay. This is the big one that a lot of people don't like to talk about because people don't like to be called a sinner or be told that there's something wrong with them. But this is the truth about the gospel. If Jesus talks about repentance and turning and believing and being converted and turning to a new way of life, there has to be something said about that new way of life. And this is a part of the scripture that, how do I say, prosperity gospel or, or modern Christianity often overlooks. There may be some things of our lifestyle that maybe God doesn't necessarily want us to continue. And so scripture is often used God's word is useful to teach us what is true and makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. So it teaches us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And lastly, God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to every good work. Because God's ultimate purpose with his word is not to form a Bible study. 
I know, sad face, right? Because we love informational study. We love head knowledge. We love to learn facts and histories. But God's purpose was to equip his people for every good work. God's purpose of his word was formation, not information. Whew, I know that was quick. A lot of stuff. All right, you ready for the fun stuff now? We got the, we got the informational piece down. So in the classroom setting, that would be the whole group activity. Now we break into the small groups. No, we're not going to break into small groups. All of you introverts, you can breathe easy. We're not going to break into small groups. What I am going to ask you to do is to take out your cell phones. Seriously, take out your cell phones. And we're going to have a heart-to-heart now about Bibles. We're going to put a slide up that has my cell phone number on it. We're going to have a heart-to-heart. Hopefully you can read that. I'm not going to say that number out loud because this is getting recorded. That is my cell phone number. I want you to go ahead and type that into your phone. And I'm going to ask you three questions. And I'm going to ask you to text me answers to three questions. And I'm, I'm going to give you a minute to get your phones out. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to turn this off, and I'll say it out loud. Can you see it in the balcony? Eh. What's that? Okay, I'm going to turn my microphone off for just a second, and I'll say it out loud. All right, now I'm going to ask you some questions about the Bible. There's three questions, and I don't have any of your numbers saved, and so I'm not going to save any of your numbers. All of them will be, I won't keep any of them. It doesn't matter, but you will all have my cell phone number, so that doesn't matter. So you have my information. That's great. Um, Text me if you need me, but um, if you don't need me, don't text me. It doesn't matter. Um, I have access to your information anyways because I'm the pastor, and so I have access to the database, right? Surprise. Um, This is meant to be more enjoyable and fun than, than concerning, but we'll see how it goes. So here's the first question. First question I want to ask, what text one word that best describes the Bible to you? Text me one word that best describes the Bible to you. One word that best describes the Bible to you. Don't call me, text me. Truth. Faith. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. One word that describes the Bible to you. Acceptance. Hope. Encouragement. Commandment. Journey, love, love. All right, let's go to the next question. Question number two, how much of the Bible have you personally read? You can give a percentage. You can say all of it, none of it, most of it. All of it, 1,000 times, I don't know. 
however you want to say it, three pages, 29.3 pages, I don't know, however you want to say it. How much of the Bible have you personally read? I'm going to save the responses to this one until the end. You keep sending them in. How much of the Bible have you personally read? And the last question. I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. This is why have you not read the Bible? What prevents you from reading the Bible more often? I think that is a little easier to phrase. What, what prevents you from reading the Bible more often? What prevents you from reading the Bible more often? What prevents you from reading the Bible more often? nothing, time, it's hard to understand, lack of time, it's difficult to follow, attitude, excuses, time constraints. Thank you for, thank you for participating with that. You can keep texting answers in if you'd like, but I'm going to move on. I'm going to share with you some statistics and data um, that I found, according to the American Bible Society, nine out of ten households own an average of five bi- or three Bibles in America today. Nine out of ten, ninety percent of American households own at least three Bibles in their house. Lifeway survey found that one out of ten people have read the Bible in its entirety. So ten percent or less of the American population have actually read the entire Bible. Half of Americans have read relatively little of the Bible at all. And the survey survey indicates a diversity in Bible reading approaches. It says that um, 22% um, have a systematic approach, which is they read a little bit a day, right? Like, I'm going to read this much, this much, this much. They they approach the Bible reading systematically. Um, 35% have a none at all approach. They don't read anything at all. Um, 19% have a favorites-only approach to reading the Bible. They um, read the same stories over and over again. They're favorites. Um, 17%, this was my favorite, is the random flip method, um, where, where it's, um, God, what do you want me to read? That one. Okay. God forgives the repentant. All right. That's today's reading. For some reason, I'm always in the Psalms. Huh. Suggested readings, 27% read, uh, read the suggestions of others. Um, 16% uh, said that they look up verses for other people, like they're, they're the ones that reference things for other people. And that's, that was just a, a Lifeway um, study and the American Bible Society's most recent post on Bible statistics um, that I found online, and you can find that study in the sermon notes when they're posted later this week if you want to go and look at the research yourself. Redeemer's, one of Redeemer's core values um, is that the Bible is God's word and it's our authority and it's our guide. John Wesley was noted for being um, a man of one book. He wrote about that. 
Um, and in, a, in the book um, called The Jesus Habits, the author Jay Dennis lists four enemies of creating a spiritual habit of scripture reading. And he says the four enemies of that are ignorance, first, not knowing what the Bible says. Second is busyness, not having time to read the Bible. Third is lack of exposure, um, not going to church or lack of involvement in a group. And fourth is indifference, not seeing the relevance of even reading the Bible anymore. And so, as we get to our third objective today, which is to create a spiritual habit of Bible reading, um, I want to share with you the steps to creating a habit. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to dive into creating a spiritual habit. Are you excited? I'm going to bear my heart with you for a few minutes here. So five steps. It's very simple. You need to know your way. Step one is knowing your way. You have to have a desire for change that is stronger than your comfort level. Right? You, you have to know your way. If you're not willing to change, you're never going to change. If your desire for change in anything is not stronger than your contentment or your personal comfort level, it's never going to happen. Right? If you like eating Cheetos more than you like going to the gym, Cheetos are going to win every time. Second thing is you have to have a realistic plan. You're not going to read through the whole Bible in one week any more than you're going to join CrossFit tomorrow. Let's be realistic. You have to schedule time. If it's important to you, you'll schedule time for it. They say you want to know someone's priorities, look at their planner. If you want to know someone's priorities and their finances, look at their checkbook. If something's important to you, you'll plan for it. You need to track your progress. I've found that if you track your progress in things, personally, literally tracking your progress will help. Whether it's physical fitness, whether it's food, whether it's your Bible study, if you track progress, it's a huge thing. And the fifth thing that's important is having accountability. Someone to help you walk along the way. And how we do that at Redeemer, Redeemer this last year is we've started, the kind of, we've started with our spiritual growth plan that we launched last year. And part of that, as it comes to Scripture, has been guided by Wayne Cordero's book, The Divine Mentor. Now this book, we brought some copies that is available um, in the lobby if you want to purchase it. You can buy it on Kindle or e-reader or anything else. Wayne Cordero is a minister out in Honolulu or Hawaii, one of the Hawaiian islands. Um, but this book is about um, reading the Bible and being mentored by the Bible. But in it, he talks about how to use Scripture to influence your life. And not to, be, not to just take information from the Bible, to be, but to be formed by the Bible. And this is the process that I use in my own spiritual life. And he uses um, life journals. Um, and a life journal is, is really just a notebook. Um, we have some available that look like this. These ones are leather, and they're not spiral-bound because these are the ones that they sell that can go into prison systems. Um, but what I like about the life journals and the one I use is spiral bound because I have one of the older ones um, is that in the, front of the, in the front of the life journal it has the SOAP method which I'll explain in a minute but it also has the um, classic reading plan and the express reading plan classic reading plan lets you read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice each year and usually every day there's two Old Testament chapters and one New Testament chapter but I want to explain the SOAP method to you real quick. And this is how my day starts. It takes about 15 minutes for me because I do it every day. 
I either start my day or I end my day with it. And for me, it's about scheduling the time. I'm best in the morning. I'm not a morning person, but once I've woken up and I've had my two cups of coffee to four cups of coffee, I'm sharpest in the morning. By the end of the day, I'm worn out. My kids have drawn, drove and driven me crazy, and I have nothing left to give. I give to God my best in the morning, and it's 15 minutes. And it's hard to give. Sometimes it doesn't happen before my kids get up. If my kids get up early, that 15 minutes happens when I get to the office. And it's the first thing I do before I turn my computer on. That's what I have to do. It's either before my kids get up in the morning, or it's the first 15 minutes when I get to the office. 15 minutes. Set aside. Soap goes like this. You start with scripture. You start your plan. The express reading, sorry, is just a few verses. The classic plan is like three chapters. If I don't have time for 15 minutes, I skip over the express plan. Um, you read the scriptures, and you open yourself up to whatever God has to teach you in those moments. That's scripture. When something speaks to you, you underline it, you highlight it, you mark it in some way. You write down that verse at the top of your journal. Date, 6-6. Six, six. That's an old one. 3-6, there we go. 3-6-19. Three, six. Six, six, Title, Delegate, Tim. Scripture, I wrote the verse. Deuteronomy 1, 12 and 13. I wrote the verse. That's the scripture. Observation. You read an observation about the text. What do you see in the scripture? Moses is reflecting on everything that has trapped or that has happened over the last 40 years. When he led the people out of Egypt, there was no questions of his leadership. But from day two on, the people grew in number and the problems grew. Toxic people, sin, and the lack of vision grew. Moses was left to pick up the pieces, a task he could never achieve on his own, nor a task that God would have wanted him to do either. That was my observation. Application. How will you be different today because of what you have read? If God didn't call Moses into solo leadership, he didn't call me into it either. It's time to find some well-respected men and women who are known for their wisdom to lead. And the rest of this is personal. And I'm not going to share it with you. And then I wrote my prayer. It's the soap method. It's a little page. But every day, I read the scriptures... And I write down what God is speaking to me. I write down observations about it. I write about not only what I read, but how it changes my life that day. And that application part is key. And then I pray about it. And then I move on. There's other ways too, though. My way is not everyone's way. The daily audio app on the Redeemer, web, on the Redeemer app. If you have the Redeemer app on your phone, you can go to the bottom here refresh. Um, you can see on the bottom here, Daily Audio Bible. You click on Daily Audio Bible, and it brings up, loading, 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 Daily Audio Bible. You click Listen Now. You can create an account, or you can go on as a guest, and you click Play, 
and it will play for you um, the daily audio Bible on your phone each day, and it will play through the entire Bible um, once a year, and it uses a different translation every, um, every uh, week. It uses a different translation. Today is March 10th. And it's free. And so if you're a commuter, Hey, Brian, it's nice. I'm glad you're with me. I can't turn you off, though. There you go. But that's free, and it's on the Redeemer app. You can use that. Um, it's great for commuters. If you're driving in the car, it's about a 30-minute listen, and you can listen to the whole Bible every year for free. Um, you can use the YouVersion Bible app that comes out by Life Church, and that has five-day, three-day, 25-day whole Bible reading plans where you can go on to reading plans with friends and do the social media thing where you can um, talk to each other on the YouVersion Bible app. I've done that with my cousins that live in Arizona, and we do reading plans and devotions together on that as well. Friends, there are a lot of ways that you can get engaged. But here's the primary thing I want to tell you. Consistency is the most important thing. It's not doing big things all right now. It's that little step, that small step right now, that small first step, doing one thing and doing it a little bit at a time. And so I want to leave you this morning with a poem. It was written in 1919. I also enjoy poetry. And it was written by Annie Johns Flint. So listen to this for just a moment. Christ has no hands without our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message, given in deed and word. What if the line is crooked? What if the type is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other work than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him unless we learn from him? Let's pray. God of all grace and mercy, we come before you today in awe of your living word that has been passed down to us through all time. Your word speaks to us even to this day. We are grateful for you, for your sustaining spirit that speaks into our hearts and our lives. Help us to live lives that are devoted to growing in your image, that each day from this day forth we would look less like our world and would look more like you and would look more like you would have us be. It's in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.